I'm Pastor Mike Winger, and this is Bible Thinker, the program dedicated to thinking biblically about everything. Did Jesus die on a stake or on a cross? This question, which doesn't have a lot of theological implications, uh, has actually become a kind of important question that Christians and Jehovah's Witnesses and atheists are asking about, and I want to really get to the bottom of it in today's live stream. We're going to talk about, like, the details, the actual evidence. We're going to dig into the history of the issue, the language of the issue, but I'm going to try to break it down in a very easy-to-follow fashion. Um, and here we go. This is uh, the Tuesday live stream. I'm uh, Pastor Mike Winger, and I do this every Tuesday. We talk about theology and apologetics. If you like this kind of thing, you might want to subscribe and check out the YouTube channel. There are hundreds of hours of biblical teaching and apologetics for absolutely free, available on, on YouTube, on podcast, as well as on the Bible Thinker app that you can find uh, in your app store. Um, so it's all free. It's just there to bless you uh, in the name of Jesus Christ. Let's dig into today's topic. Uh, did Jesus die on a stake or on a cross? Which one was it? Um, and now let me let me give you why this is a controversy in the first place. Um, so by the way, the cross would be like this shape, right? The stake it would just be a straight up and down pole of wood. That would be the two options, as I've shown in the thumbnail for this video. Um, the Jehovah's Witnesses have made a really big deal about this doctrine and they've been taught and, and notice I stress they've been taught it's not like every Jehovah's Witness has invented their own theology they're getting it from the Watchtower which is the governing group who's organizing and telling them what to believe about things um, now they've been told that the cross is a pagan symbol used by Christians um, not a, no, no earlier probably than the 300s and that Jesus actually died on a torture stake. And they may even knock on your door and bring this teaching to you and challenge you with it. Um, and they say, hey, you know, what did Jesus die on? You say a cross, it's right there in the Bible. And they say to you, oh, no, 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 no. The original Greek word is not cross, it's stauros. And stauros means an upright pole or stake. And they might even quote Greek lexicons to show you that they're right and you're wrong. And then they say, you're, therefore, the implication, now this is where it becomes important. The implication is that the Christian's Bible is mistranslated and that if you could be wrong on something so basic as the shape of the cross of Jesus, what else might you be wrong about? Then they go one step further and they say, well, if, the, if it didn't come from the Bible, if it didn't come from the Greek here or the actual event, where did this cross thing come from? And they strongly imply that anyone who has a cross in their church wears a cross, or thinks that Jesus died on a cross, that they're somehow engaging in pagan practices that have been brought into Christianity. This is seen as a sign from the Jehovah's Witnesses, as a sign of the blasphemy of all Christians other than the Jehovah's Witnesses, that they're somehow um, pagan. And, you know, this along with celebrating birthdays, Christmas, Easter, all this stuff is seen as evidence that you're apostate or something like that. Um, now the solution comes. The solution is, hey, we've got our New World Translation. We've fixed it. Every time where the word cross comes up in our translation, it says torture stake. And so when it says, Jesus says, take up your cross, he says, take up your torture stake. And so the Jehovah's Witness, you know, comes to your door. They say, hey, you have a problem. It means you're pagan. Don't worry, we can fix it. Become a Jehovah's Witness. Start reading our translation and we'll fix your Christianity. But instead of fixing it, they bring in a whole new kind of version of Christianity. That is not biblical. All right, so let's um, let's dig into the details here. Oh, by the way, I want to mention this too. I have heard in recent years, and maybe it's been going on for longer than that, but I've noticed in recent years, atheists um, not infrequently saying these types of things as well. An example is uh, Dan Barker, who is 
if, if you're an online atheist, I say online, you're an atheist who dabbles in things online, you know who Dan Barker is, right? Um, he's considered by many atheists to be their, their foot in the door for inside info on Greek, right? Dan Barker's like, he's the guy who will tell you about what the Greek says and all this kind of stuff. Well, Dan Barker, he promotes the idea that Christians are wrong about even the shape of the cross. He doesn't use this to get you to join his cult. He uses it to get you to think Christianity is basically silly. You know, like, you don't even know what shape the cross is, that kind of thing. Um, of course, when he was in debate with Mike Lacona, and uh, Mike Lacona tried to take him to task on the topic, he quickly moved away from it and didn't want to talk about it. Uh, but anyhow, this stuff is important in various conversations. Um, so, again, like I said, the, the, the main case that someone argues for the idea that cross in your Bible, when you read cross, it should be torture stake, has to do with the Greek word. And we're going to get into the Greek now. Um, the Greek word is stauros. Stauros, the etymology of the word or where the word came from, you know, the pieces of the word. It comes from a word that means a pole or stake. That's just what it means. That's what the word originally means. Um, this is something though we call the etymological fallacy. This is like, I didn't make up this term, right? This is actually a fallacy. Um, not a logical fallacy, it's a linguistic fallacy, where you say that the meaning of a word is always going to be the origin of the word. And so that's a problem. For instance, consider the following. The word consider, the word consider, that came from words meaning to examine the stars. That's what the word consider came from. Yet when we say consider, we like never mean that, right? We almost never, you've probably never said the word thinking, I'm examining the stars. We obviously think it means something different because the etymology of the word and the usage of the word are two different issues. So um, the Watchtower, they know they're doing this, and I'm going to demonstrate this right now. Um, the watch, Oh, before I do, though, I, I will announce, right? I, I'm, a, I'm a cat guy. I got two cats, and I have a new camera upgrade. And because of the new camera upgrade and, a, and an available second camera, and I have nothing else to do with it, I've created the cat cam. <laughs> So, so if I have my one of my cats available to me, um, I may well uh, put the cat cam up. So there's a little cat cam. That's Moxie. She's sitting next to me, and um, there she is, twitching her ear to say hi to you. All right, maybe we'll come back to that later. But <laughs> has nothing to do with my ministry. <laughs> it's just for the cat people out there. Um, all right. So the the Watchtower. Here's one of their books, and it's um, called Insight on the Scriptures, Volume One. Volume one, there's two volumes to it. It's a massive tome, it's super big, and it has like a bunch of definitions of words and stuff in it. In this book, they say the following about Stauros. And note this, they don't just say it on their own. They quote Greek sources. Okay, so let me read this. We're gonna, I'm gonna show you what they say, then we're gonna see that they're purposely, and I, I'm not gonna pull punches here. I'm not making stuff up either, but the Watchtower is purposely, intent, intentionally misusing this quote. And I'm going to show you the real quote in context after we read what they say. Um, so Stauros, in both the classical Greek, says the Watchtower organization, and Koine carries no thought of a cross. Made of two timbers, it means only an upright stake, pale, pile, or pole. So it's never two timbers. It's just one timber by itself, upright stake, um, or, pal or stockade, palisade, fence, those types of things. Then they quote their source, says Douglas New Bible, Douglas's New Bible Dictionary of 1985 under the word cross on page 253. Here's their source, them quoting their source. The Greek word for cross, stauros, means primarily an upright stake or beam and secondarily a stake used as an instrument for punishment and execution. Okay, so that's, that's the whole story as far as the watchtower is concerned. And they quoted a Greek source. 
Now, if you actually go to that same Greek source and you read the quote in context, here's what it says. And this, I'm going to read it to you because it's a lot on your screen there. This is just how long the quote is. This is their source on the same page they quote. We're just going to read the whole entry or more of it. The Greek word for cross, stauros, means primarily an upright stake or beam and secondarily a stake used as an instrument for punishment and execution. It is used in the latter sense in the New Testament. And it goes on. Apart from the single upright post, which they call a crux simplex, on which the victim was tied or impaled, there were three types of crosses. The crux commissa, which is uh, shaped like a capital T, thought by some to be derived from the symbol of the god Tamas. The latter tau, the letter tau, uh, they're talking about the origin of the, of the shape. Um, the crux du uh, decasata, which I think this is Latin we're quoting here, and this was shaped like the letter X. And then the cruce emissa was the familiar two beams. And it shows you an image here of the cross, the normal typical cross. So there's three kinds, the capital T, the X, and the lowercase t. Held by tradition, I continue reading, to be the shape of the cross on which our Lord died. This is strengthened by the references in the four gospels to the title nailed to the cross of Christ over his head. So they're saying, hey, not only are there other uses, but the very source the Watchtower quotes, out of context, is actually saying that they're leaning towards the idea that Jesus died on one of these, right? The uh, With the plus sign, <laughs> the uh, the lowercase t type cross. Um, so there's a lot more I want to get into. In fact, let me, let me share with you another source. This is going to be uh, from Brown Driver, well, excuse me, the Brown Driver, Briggs, Art Gingrich, whatever. Th this... This source, this is just called BDAG because the name and then the list of authors is so long. But what I'm quoting to you guys right now, I'm putting on your screen, there it is. Oh no, I just deleted it. Uh, let me pull it back up. This is gonna take a moment. Ooh, 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 what is this? Okay, I'm having some technical difficulties. My, my software is like glitching on me. This will take a minute to pull up. Maybe I'll just summarize. Uh, in Brown Driver Briggs, uh, or the, the BDAG, that's that's what it's usually summarized on. This is like a typical, respectable, respectable uh, Greek resource, uh, Greek lexicon, giving us details about the Greek. This is another one the Watchtower will quote, and it says that the cross is an upright polar stake. After quoting it, saying it's an upright polar stake, they leave the quote off. The same as our previous source, the New Bible Dictionary, uh, BDAG, B-D-A-G, they actually go on to explain that the cross that Jesus died on was probably actually a lowercase t. And so what I want you to know is this, um, a lot of the things the Watchtower does is it isolates its people from reading any sources on their own, and then it quotes them selectively out of context to make it look like the Watchtower is their safe place to go for insights into scholarly research and that sort of thing. This is kind of the normal thing that they do. Um, I can read to you BDAG, but I won't be able to put it on your screen at the moment because I accidentally clicked the X on it. And it takes a couple minutes to pull it up. Um, but here's what it says. It says that it's an upright pointed stake, and then you read the full entry. It says, a stake sunk into the earth in an upright position. A cross piece was often attached to its upper part so that it was shaped like a T or thus a lowercase T. Um, so there's two sources. I'll give you one more. The Theological Dictionary of the New Testament is one more source. Um, and then we'll move off the Greek issue and we'll talk about some artwork from the early centuries. Um, but the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament says the following. In shape, we find three basic forms of crosses, it's saying. The cross was a vertical pointed stake, or it consisted of an upright, uh, of an 
of an upright with a cross beam above it, or it consisted of two intersecting beams of equal length. So again, the word stauros is flexibly used for, th for three different kinds of crosses, typically, generally speaking. And there's like an, there's an X, there's like an uppercase T, and there's a lowercase T. That's the normal uh, ones that were used. It could also be referring to a pole in the ground. Now I'm going to go to um, um, this picture right here. And by the way, as I'm showing you this picture, you can study it for a second. This is the earliest, um, one of the earliest artworks we have of the cross. It's called the Alexamenos Graffito, which is a graffiti that says, here's Alexamenos worshiping God. Like that's what's written on it. And it's, uh, study it for a second because you're like probably weirded out. What on earth am I looking at right now? While you're doing that, I want to tell you, you can put your questions in the live chat if you're watching live. I'll answer your questions as, you know, a handful of them that I can get to at the end of the stream. I would prefer questions that are on this topic, but we'll be open to other questions as well. And I'll let uh, AJ um, decide which questions I get sent because I can't read them all. Um, now, this graffito is from somewhere between the first and third centuries. That means it could be as old as like 80 AD or it could be... Um, you know, sometime in the middle of the 200s or something like that. Like it's somewhere in that window, right? This graffiti is somebody mocking a guy named Alexomenos. He's there pictured as you see him uh, with his hand raised up. He's like worshiping. And what is he worshiping? He's worshiping what ends up being like uh, some sort of an animal, maybe a donkey that's put up on a cross. Now, this is made to mock Christians. This is not artwork done by Christians, but artwork done against Christians to make fun of this guy, Alexamenos, who'd become a Christian and his pagan buddies wanted to mock him. Well, here we have, you know, a, a picture of Jesus, a mocking picture of Christ, but he's put upon a cross that is a T-shaped cross with perhaps a sign over it. There's that like circular thing above the, above the top of the cross there. So this is like the earliest artwork we actually have of a... Um, sort of the earliest. I'll share something that's actually earlier in a minute that, that shows something of the cross. And it's got a picture of a T-shaped, lowercase T-shaped cross, which is a traditional image that we think of most Christians, most of the world thinks of when they talk about Jesus on the cross. That's the earliest account. And certainly these guys aren't trying to make a theological statement. They're just drawing what they thought Jesus died on. Um, they're just meaning to mock. Now there's some other sources we have in the early centuries the early church that talk about the cross of Christ. So let me give you one of them. In the early second century, so we're talking within a hundred years of the death of Christ, early second century, the epistle, the epistle of Barnabas was written. And this represents the cross of Christ with a letter T, with the capital letter T. So this means it would have had a cross beam in, in, this, in this work. Now this is not in the scriptures. The, the epistle, Barnab epistle of Barnabas is not like an epistle in your Bible because it's not part of the scripture, right? Now, it's not part of the Bible. Nobody thinks it is. Well, almost nobody thinks it is. There's always somebody out there, right? Um, and, but it represents it with a capital T. And so that, that's the picture image it has of the cross. Um, so this would mean there was definitely a cross beam, definitely a cross beam going on there, at least in the mind of the author. Um, he also goes on to say that Moses stretching out his hands over Israel, that that was like Jesus stretching out his hands on the cross. So clearly the epistle of Barnabas uh, is thinking at that time very early, way before any paganism could be said to have entered in because of, you know, Rome and, and all the stuff that happened in the 300s or something like that. Way, way before that, you can't have Jesus on that cross that has his hands over his head tied together or nailed to a, to a pole above him. They're spread out. 
And then Justin Martyr, also in the second century. Justin Martyr, interesting guy. He was like one of the first Christian apologists who would build cases, thoughtful, logical cases, defending the Christian faith. Um, he describes Jesus as having a cross that had two beams. He describes two different beams on the cross. So this would also rule out the, um, the uh, torture stake view. Now, if you're just being unbiased, you're like, I just want to know what Jesus died on. Then this is all really good evidence that the watchtower is wrong here. Um, now we read on. Uh, some of our earliest New Testament manuscripts of the Gospels, you're going to like this, I think. I like this. I think it's kind of neat. Our earliest manuscripts of the Gospels, they actually do something really interesting with the word stauros. That's that word for cross. What they do is they get rid of most of the letters of the word and they pretty much just keep two, which is the tau and the rho. Uh, the tau and the rho. Now the tau would be that T. Now if they're writing in, in uh, capital letters, I believe it was called majuscules, if I remember is correct. It's been a while since I dug into these issues. Um, but they're, then it's a capital T. That's the tau for stauros. And then the, uh, the, the rho, which is like our letter R, um, the rho, it doesn't look like an R. It looks like a capital P. Uh, I guess for you, it would be like that. Is that, if I'm not, I'm inverting my image here. So we have a capital T and a capital P superimposed on top of each other, drop the rest of the letters in the word, and that's what they would use for the word cross. So let me show you what this would look like if you were actually looking at it. Here's a, a, um, a manuscript, P75. P75, uh, is a, it's called Bodmer P75. You're welcome to look it up. There's high quality images of it online. You can find on the uh, Center for New Testament Manuscripts, uh, which is uh, Dan Wallace's thing. It's like csnmt.org, something like that. You can Google it and you'll find it. Um, anyway, here's, here's the image and we've got See this, this superimposed in, in the highlighted portion? That is where the word stauros is, is, no, is not even there in the text. But I mean, it would be there. But instead, they have just these two letters put one on top of the other. And it's the picture of a cross with, it seems, a man on it. That's awesome. Here's another example from P66. P66, which it may be as early as 200 AD, which is very early, very early for manuscripts. And here we have another example of this. And this one's an even neater drawing of it. Um, here we have a man on a cross, and it's a, with a cross beam. It, it appears to be the the normal cross we see in churches. This at least, or it could be the capital T one, but um, it, either one of those is an option, I suppose. But obviously not a torture stake. That one just seems to be uh, impossible given this this early artwork. Yeah, and that's what this is. This is a this is taking letters and making a drawing of Jesus on the cross in ancient manuscripts written by Christians who obviously cared. That they would um, that they would preserve the knowledge of what Christ had done, so yeah, no paganism there. So here's our options so far from what we've we've learned: either the capital or lowercase T is in view for what Jesus died on. Like these are the only real livable viable options we've got: um, either the capital T or the lowercase T is in view. Um, finally, we have some more info, a few more things, and then I'll go to your guys' questions. Um, there's two gospels that report that Jesus had a sign above his head. You may have already thought of this, right? He had a sign above his head while he was on the cross. Two of the Gospels say this. This seems to require a lowercase t for the cross in order to put the accusation or what he was being you know, crucified for up onto the, uh, the cross. Two Gospels, and we're talking here, these are guaranteed. Some think the Gospels were written much later. These are absolutely guaranteed, no doubt about it. They're all written in the first century. They're written w well within the memory of these events. And um, anyway, I have other videos on things like that. So we'll just we'll move forward. That's evidence for a lowercase t. Um, the Watchtower, though, they have 
they have really made this an issue. Whereas to me as a Christian, I'm like, well, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Like, you know, change the images that we use or something like that. Uh, change the cross that's up at my church. Um, but the but the Watchtower, they've made a huge issue of this. They use this as a way of showing that they think other Christians are pagan. Think about that. So while Christianity has nothing riding on the shape of the cross, theologically speaking, the Watchtower has everything riding on the shape of the cross. And all the evidence goes really strongly against them. And they can quote a few guys out there. There's a couple of guys. There's always someone you can find to agree with you. But the overwhelming evidence seems to be strongly against their uh, their opinions. But here's where it gets a little weird. Because did you know this? The Watchtower, they didn't even always believe this. And if you're a Jehovah's Witness, I thank you for watching this. I love you and I care about you. And it might feel like I'm attacking you. I'm not. If the Watchtower is wrong on something, then I'm helping you by showing you this. This is an act of love towards you. I want to help you in this. Um, so just consider these things. Think about them. Don't look it up on your own. I'm sharing it with you my sources and and all this stuff so you can check it out on your own. But here's where it gets a little odd. The Watchtower used to think Jesus died on the cross. It wasn't until 1931 that they said he didn't. So check this out. In 1912, we have um, the magazine, The Watchtower, which is like their official magazine. I mean, this is like the magazine. And here we've got on the top left the image of the cross. The cross and crown, they call it, right? This is what they would have on the cover of their magazines. Here it is in 1912. The official Watchtower magazine, which is which is elevated to a point of being kind of like scripture to them. The Watchtower represented, this is a, an image from the Watchtower. They actually represented in, in 1914, this is a motion picture, in 1914, um, where they show Jesus on a cross and this is from, it's called The Photodrama of Creation, done by Russell. This is Russell, Charles Taze Russell's Photodrama of Creation. This is slide number 65. Please, if you're Jehovah's Witness, go look it up. Go look it up. Or go and, um, let's see, check out the difference between the October 3rd edition of The Watchtower and October 15th edition of The Watchtower magazine from 1931. In 1931, that's when the change came. That's when they said, there's no cross. They took, if you see the top left, in fact, I'll give you a closer up image. This is just the top left of the two magazines from 1931, the October 3rd and October 15th. If you're listening to this on podcast, you can, you can get the video to watch the images on YouTube or on the Bible Thinker app, either way. Um, but this is, this is when it happened. This is when the change took place. Now, I did not draw these fake images to trick you, okay? Um, if, if it's if it's a torture stake, so be it, you know. But this is this is the true history of the Watchtower that's going on here. They said in 1929, in 1929, that quote from the book Life on page 216, published by the Watchtower, they said Jesus was um, Jesus was crucified upon the cross, like that's the that's the exact quote. But in the 1932 booklet, remember 1931 is when the shift took place? The 1932 booklet called What is Truth, um, Rutherford included a different image. And that is when he started saying that Jesus died on a stake. And that's where you get all, and I didn't have the image for this, but this is where you get all the images of Jesus with his hands over his head, um, one pole behind him, and he's nailed to it. One nail through through his wrists. Not two nails, one nail. The Bible says there were two. The Watchtower presents it as though there was one. I'm sure they probably have some. They probably try to pretend the Greek says that or something, um, but that's not the case. Um, so let me read to you from page 141 of the Harp of God. This is the Harp of God. 
Um, this is from the harp of God. Um, oh, excuse me. No, I put I put the wrong title on this image. This image, excuse me, is from the 2016 Watchtower documentary, The Kingdom 100 Years and Counting. This just came out a couple years ago, uh, three, three years ago now. 2016, The Kingdom 100 Years and Counting. Go look it up. This image is there. What is this? This is a picture of a Watchtower, Jehovah's Witness lady, and she's still wearing the cross and crown because this is going back from before they said this was a pagan symbol. Um, but Rutherford uh, wrote, excuse me, this is what the other thing I wanted to share with you. Rutherford wrote in The Harp of God, quote, The cross of Christ is the greatest pivotal truth of the divine arrangement from which radiates the hopes of men. That's on page 141. Rutherford wrote that. This is the same guy who later said the cross was a pagan symbol. So what, what we see is this, and we're about to go to your questions. What we see is that um, Christians don't have much writing on this. Uh, you know, they say we use the cross in our worship. I don't use the cross in my worship. I worship the Lord. Um, I don't use, I use a guitar sometimes. You know, like I don't use the cross in any fashion in my worship. I have it in my church. It represents the, what Jesus did. It's a reminder to that he paid for all my sins and that I am to die to, to this world, to die even my, to myself, deny myself, take up my cross and follow Christ. You know, this is a good reminder for us. We're not using it in our worship. I, I hope you're not. You shouldn't be if you, if you are. Some would say pagans use it first. I would say, well, well, pagans use like Greek before the Bible wrote in Greek. It doesn't. It's not relevant. It doesn't matter. What are we doing with it? What are we using it for? We're, we get our image of the cross from Jesus dying on the cross. We don't get it from pagans. Whatever they may have used similar images for, it's just irrelevant. It's unrelated. But there's something that's much worse than all these issues that the Watchtower says about the cross. The shape of the cross being wrong is a small error which has been turned into a really good way of proving the watchtowers making stuff up. Um, but they do something much worse, which is they say that Jesus's effect of dying on the cross wasn't enough to pay for your sin. And that is much, much worse than getting the shape of the cross wrong. And if you're a Jehovah's Witness, I want to say it's not just the shape of the cross that the watchtower misunderstands. It's what it means and what it does for you. And what you need to do is read the Bible and stop reading the watchtower stuff and learn right from the scriptures what this really means. When Jesus says on the cross, it is finished. What did that mean? What was finished? What did, did Jesus just pay for something Adam did? Or did he deal with all sin, mine included, so that I could freely come to God, freely come to know him because all sin was paid for. Jesus taking the punishment for our sin on the cross that we could be forgiven freely and know by pure grace apart from works know the kindness of God. Like it says in Ephesians 2, right? By grace you've been saved through faith. Uh, and this not of yourselves, apart from works, right? This is this is the gift of God. And that's the beautiful message of the cross. Free, free forgiveness through Christ. He did it all. Um, so we glory in the cross. Like Paul says, we glory in the cross because the work is done and Jesus has accomplished it all. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to your guys' questions right now. I've already got a, a good bunch of them. You can probably, don't bother putting any more in the live chat right now because I, We've already got as many as I can do. I have to uh, um, just be one human here doing as best I can with this stuff. Um, so James Georgiou says, um, what is Mike's view on 1 Corinthians 11 about head coverings? Is it an actual covering on the head or is it metaphorical? I get a lot of, well, I wouldn't say a ton, but I've had several people question me on this topic. Um, I feel like I need to dig in and do a really careful teaching on the issue. Um, I, I mean... My, my opinion right now is uh, that it was talking about actual head coverings, but that they, but that there's um, 
metaphorical reasons for why he's talking about actual physical head coverings because it relates to um, you know authority being under the right authorities in our lives things like that um, I don't think that the church is asked to have head cover physical head coverings um, in that same sense today but I do understand why people struggle with the passage and I have more questions about it on my own as well one day I want to dig into it give you a better answer uh, answer all those types of questions and maybe maybe my opinion on it would, would shift or change I'm open to that I want to be open to that um, so there's the best I can give you right now off the top of my head there. Decided Scroll says, uh, what's your view on sinless perfection? Um, well, uh, Decided Scroll, um, I remember you, by the way. I remember a lot of your guys' names uh, as, as you've been with me for a while and in, in partaking in this ministry. Um, my view on sinless perfection is that it's not. It's not a thing. Um, or I should say this. I want to be careful. We will be sinlessly perfect in our behavior when we get to heaven or when we have our exaltation. Um, when we get our new bodies, yeah, we, you know, because so for some of us, we're going to go and we're going to wait on those resurrected new bodies. Other ones if we, who are alive and remain till the, Lord re, till the Lord returns, we'll just we'll just be transformed right into it. But that'll be the point where our sinless perfection is a real thing. Until then, I will always battle the flesh. I will always deal with my carnal desires, temptations, constantly leaning and relying simply upon the grace of God every single day. This isn't an excuse for living in great rebellious sin or something like that, but it is a sober reality of human nature, of even the Christian who still deals with sin on a daily basis. So those who say they've reached a point of sinlessness, I say two things. One, please let me get to know you and spend some time with you. If you, if, if, if you somehow have done this, I don't understand it theologically, and um, I would love to see it, <laughs> to be honest. But, uh, but the other thing I, I would say is, um, yeah, they're probably blowing smoke. And what seems, in my opinion, the people I've, who I've known, the few people I've known who've said things like this, were usually utterly unaware of their own pride. And uh, pride itself is a horrible sin. And it seemed like they could be the most arrogant person and not even know it. And so they weren't sinlessly perfect. They were just calloused to their own issues. This is just in a pra pragmatic sense, my practical experience in life. And some of you might might be able to identify with that or maybe think I'm wrong. You may have your opinion. Uh, Johnny uh, asked the question, um, what's my take on the Seventh-day Adventist group? Uh, I could really use his wisdom. Um, one of these days, I'll, I'll do a thing on it. I, I don't think I could give a quick blurb right now because it's been years since I've studied Seventh-day Adventism. I've taught on it years ago, but it's been years and um, I, I need to dig into it fresh to be able to give you some help there. Sorry. Um, Nicholas says, uh, historically, those who were... Oh, let me tell you this. Uh, Johnny, um, I think one place I would recommend to look if you just want quick help is go to gotquestions.org see what they have on the topic. I'll bet they'll probably have some good helpful stuff. Doesn't mean I endorse whatever they happen to say there, but I would definitely look there at least. Um, Nicholas Yakum says, historically, those who were crucified carried the cross beam of the cross. Yeah, the patibulum, they call that, the top part. Um, in art or pop belief, we're taught Jesus carried the whole thing. What are your thoughts on what Jesus carried up to Golgotha? Yeah, I, from what I have read, um, it's I, I lean towards thinking he carried just that that top beam part. Um, yeah, and there are some reproductions, or you know, there's sometimes when people do movies and stuff about Jesus, they will have him doing that. Um, I think I've seen one that does that. Other ones they have him carrying the whole the whole cross because that's what's in people's minds, and so that's what they put up. Yeah, but the idea of taking up my cross and following Jesus isn't isn't about the journey from from Jerusalem to Golgotha while carrying his cross. 
it's it's not just that um it, it's about the idea of i will die to this world i will live for christ my life is not my own i belong to him and though i be mocked or ridiculed or though i lose things in this life or even lose my life it is all worth it for the sake of knowing jesus and knowing god and so killing uh, killing you know sin in my life and even dying to the things of this world um, so yeah it, not relevant to this to the shape of the item it's the idea hmm susan morales says did you did judas iscariot commit the unforgivable sin now i just taught on the unforgivable sin so this is a question relating to something that just came out a video that came out yesterday um did judas iscariot commit the unforgivable sin um I don't know. I'll say this. I don't see a clear indication in the text as I'm just kind of thinking, like loading in my head the information about Judas that, that says that he did. Um, meaning perhaps he could have repented. Um, maybe this is why, and, and I'm just guessing here, that perhaps Satan, after entering his heart, putting in his heart to betray Jesus, entering into him, it says, and then he goes and he does this, is now tormenting him to the point where he commits suicide. There, um, there perhaps could have been, you know, redemption for Judas Iscariot. Um, but Jesus, knowing that this wasn't going to happen, I mean, Judas did not, he wasn't saved. I don't think there's any ground for saying he was somehow saved still. Um, he says it'd be better for that man if he was never born because he, he knew what, what Judas was getting himself into. So, so maybe not the unforgivable sin, but, but unless you think the unforgivable sin is dying while still rejecting the gospel but I, I i don't relate it to that personally I, I have a different more careful i think way of looking at it um sj thomason says uh what did uh, constantine see i've heard some sources say a christian symbol and others specify the cross you know that's a great question um sj i i don't know um i've also heard that he saw uh, an x which i mean they could have used an x for for to crucify someone they, they use various shapes as we've observed but uh but yeah i don't know what what constantine saw um i've never really looked into that and he, he had the vision and he put it on the shields of his soldiers and he won a battle and supposedly this was the big trigger of what uh changed his view towards christianity and perhaps that's a true story or perhaps it's not i haven't looked into it to tell you uh, bible history science says who said that considering root were root words is a logical fallacy is this systematic theology this is great um, i'm really glad you asked this question um uh, bible history science i think you've radically misunderstood me uh, radically misunderstood me um so the thing i talked about it and i notice i said it's not a logical fallacy it's a uh, it's a fallacy when it comes to linguistics not logical, as in philosophers say, this is a logical fallacy, but ling linguists say it's a fallacy. It's a fallacy. It's a false to suggest that the root meaning of the word is the only meaning of the word or is the eternal meaning of the word. It meant this 300 years ago. It has to mean that today. That That's the fallacy. Um, so I've heard this from various people. Um, um, if you st study Greek, they'll talk about this because a lot of the people, when they use Greek, they're, us they're often abusing Greek. Um, and so this is one of the things that comes up when you're just studying Greek. Yeah. But go just look up etymological fallacy. Just go Google it. Yeah. And it's not from systematic theology. I, I get the impression that you didn't understand what I was saying and perhaps thought I was pulling the wool over your eyes when I'm really not. So Hooties. 
Hoodies, H-O-O-D-I-I-S, Hoodis, maybe, says, um, uh, you've said before that a Christian cannot have an unclean spirit because they have the Holy Spirit. Others, such as Todd White, have said the same thing and discredit deliverance ministries. Um, I don't say that for the same reasons Todd White does, I don't think, but maybe not. Um, do you believe Jesus' Jesus' Jesus's instructions to cast out demons were only for unbelievers? Uh, where do you get your theology that a believer cannot have the demonic spirit? Scripture, please. Um, let me give you an example, and this is not clear, but this is implied. Here's I, a place where I think it's implied. Jesus talks about uh, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, it goes into deserted places, and it rounds up like seven spirits worse than himself and comes back. And if it founds the house, which means the man, the man's being pictured as a house in this parable of Jesus. If it founds that, finds the house unoccupied, then it comes back and makes it worse than before. So that the final state of the man is worse than originally before he was had the demon exercised. So the picture is a guy gets a demon cast out of him, but he ha- does not enter into a relationship with God. He does not enter into the, the, you know, what God has for him. Then the demon comes back with seven more and then re-enters the man. Why? Because he's unoccupied. Well, I think that when I give my life to Christ, it's occupied, man. I'm, I'm in, I, have, I have the Holy Spirit in me. So there'd be one example from scripture that I think may specifically imply on this very issue um, that there isn't this sort of possession for Christians. Doesn't mean there can't be some kind of oppression. That is my personal opinion. I wouldn't build your theology off of off of that one issue, but it seems to be the case. Now, I've had someone tell me that they've experienced in their life things that they think can contradict that. And I'm not, I didn't personally find that persuasive, but, you know, I could be wrong. That's my understanding of the text and of the concept of being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's hard to imagine that I am filled with the Holy Spirit and that a demon can come in and possess me. But do you, you know what I mean? It seems to be the very condition that Jesus is implying means they can't come back in because you're filled, you are occupied. Uh, Tommy Giles says, question, uh, does the Watchtower Bible say that a sign hung over Jesus' head? Um, I'm, sh- I'm pretty sure it does. I ha- I'd have to look up the exact passages in the, in the two Gospels that mention that. I'm pretty sure it does, but they could, you know, they would see that stake is going way above Jesus' head, so they could they could see a sign there. But once you rule out that, and you realize it had a crossbeam, now you realize it has to be the lowercase t. Those are the only, seems the only viable option. Um, Blake Poor says, question, uh, Mike, I once um, had a witness ask me, would you wear a gun on your neck if Jesus had been shot to death? How would you respond? Oh, this is great because in the Watchtower literature, they also say things like, if Jesus had been shot by a, they talk about someone kissing a cross and they say, if Jesus had been shot by a gun, would you kiss the gun? And you're like, oh, you know, and I go, yeah, well, I understand that. Um, If but here's what we have to recognize. The cross is a device of killing someone. That, that is what it is. Worse than a gun. Because a gun's at least quick. So the cross is a horrible device of torture and, and killing. Why would I wear a cross? Well, because the Bible talks about the folly. I don't, I don't wear a cross, by the way. But why would I maybe even have a cross on the wall in my home or see it in my church? Um, you know, or have it on a shirt I'm wearing or something. Because of the shocking nature of the cross, when you really understand it, that's exactly why we highlight it. We recognize your works will never get you to heaven. It's what Jesus did on the cross. He took the payment. He paid the payment. He took the punishment for your sin. And he died in your place. That should have been me on the cross. So I'll wear it because he chose that to be 
part of the instrumentation of how I would be saved. And so my response is, um, uh, would I wear a gun on my neck if Jesus had been shot to death? Um, yeah, perhaps I would. Um, because when you read in the text of the New Testament that we glory in the cross of Christ. Those are Paul's words, right? We glory in the cross. We, we, what they think is foolish, we think is God's wisdom. And we see the purpose of it. Um, Meadow Sweep says, how can we demonstrate that polygamy is sinful? Or rather, how do we know that Christians are not to practice it anymore? Um, the very nature of polygamy, in, in my opinion, is, is enough to show you that it's sinful. Um, when you get married, part of the whole deal is one man, one woman, one flesh. When I join to some other separate second wife, I am committing adultery. It's like the nature of the thing. Polygamy in itself is adulterous. Um, so there's a case that can be made in the Old Testament. I, I'm going to study this more sometime. For when the Bible says you will not take a, a, a woman as a rival to her sister, that this, is, that this is actually Old Testament refutation of polygamy in general because the woman as a rival to her sister is not speaking of blood relations, but of... Um, a second wife, just a second wife in general. Anyway, there's a whole case that can be made there. Uh, in the New Testament, it's even easier to make this case. Um, by the way, the kings of Israel were told they couldn't multiply wives. They, they were told not to, and uh, Solomon got in a lot of trouble because of it. Um, so this was refu rebuked or refuted in that sense. The New Testament says that, it, you know, for men who want to serve in ministry, that they can't, cannot be the husband of multiple wives. They can't be polygamous. They can only be a husband of one wife. This is what Paul says to Timothy. Uh, let them be the husband of one wife. Does this mean you have to be married before you can serve? Well, no, no. You can be single and serve. But if you're married, one wife. That's that's actually a requirement. So if you're a polygamist and you came to Christ after having a polygamist thing already going on, you could be saved, but you're disqualified from leadership because of how messed up you have... You have you're, you're creating a messed up display of what marriage is meant to be, which pictures Christ ultimately in the church. So there's a couple of reasons right there. Um, yeah. So, I, I, yeah. Okay. Number, last question for tonight. This is from Daughter of the Most High. Is it wrong to wear cross necklaces? I think the answer is no. Uh, what would be wrong would be if you think that wearing that cross is an icon that protects you or if you grab it to, to assist you in prayer and you start to move into that realm of uh, what ends up being things that move toward idolatry. And I think stay far away from those things. You're worshiping in church and there's a cross on the wall and you're like, first you're worshiping God and then you find yourself worshiping right at that cross. Like I'm worshiping at the, like in the direction of that object there. Whoa, hold up, stop it right there. Uh, we have no images to represent God. Um, they're to remind us of Christian truths, that's good. To represent God or his protection or little icons of protection, um, that is a bad thing. We don't want that. But can you wear it as a reminder? Yeah, I don't see any reason uh, why that would be a problem. But I would be mindful of the context in which you wear it. In some cultures, they're going to interpret it differently than you. They're not going to realize you're doing it as a Christian. They're going to... Anyway, that's in, in the in the Middle East and stuff like that. There's actually somewhere, somewhere even where crucifixes to demonstrate not that they're Catholics, but that they're, um, they're not Muslims. They'll actually wear a crucifix with Jesus on uh, on the cross, excuse me, uh, they'll wear it. Let me think of, I just re recently found this out. They either wear it with Jesus on the cross. Yeah, it's with Jesus on the cross because Muslim theology says that Jesus never went to the cross. So some who have those Muslim neighbors will wear a crucifix with Jesus on the cross as a way of saying he really went to the cross. 
Jesus did die for us. And so it has a whole new meaning to them that's not about um, icons and protection. It's just, it's about proclaiming a message about Christ. So there you go. Now in the States, if you wear a crucifix with Jesus on it, it says you're Catholic. Okay, at least to most people. So there's just a variety of, of what's going on there. Um, so thank you guys so much. This has been the uh, Tuesday live stream. I'm sorry I got started a little bit late. Uh, quick couple announcements. Um, I'm uh, continuing the, the Mark uh, series, just going verse by verse, putting out a new study each week. I do encourage you to check that out if you want to have a, a Bible study with me, verse by verse, going through the Gospel of Mark. Um, I'm on part 13 this coming this Sunday. It'll be uploaded on Monday. And... Um, Let's see what else is going on. I'm speaking at the OC Rescue Mission on Monday, if you're in the area, uh, the Orange County Rescue Mission. I'll be speaking there on Fulfilled Prophecy. And uh, there's more. Um, I'm currently studying The Physics of Heaven. The Physics of Heaven is a book promoted by um, Bethel and other um, people who are connected to, to them. It's very, very heavily promoted by them. Uh, Bill Johnson, Jesus Culture type of communities. But it's really problematic and it promotes some very disturbing things as I read it. I didn't read any reviews or listen, I just read it on my own. I was like, oh dear, I'm gonna do some, I'm gonna do content on this. So I hope to start that on Tuesday, next Tuesday. Hopefully I'll be getting into that content. I hope it'll be a blessing to us as the stuff that we'll see in there will be um, concerning, but it will help us because we're gonna, I'm gonna go through their, how they use scripture versus um, what that scripture actually should mean in context. So it's got passages or chapters from Bill Johnson. It's got a forward by Chris Volatin. Hope I pronounced his name right that time. Um, and it's got uh, endorsements from Banning Liebscher, who's like the Jesus Culture pastor. Um, it's got all these guys in it. And this is why I was shocked when I read the content. Um, anyhow, I hope you are having a blessed day. And I thank you so much for those who are supporting this ministry. Most of you don't need to. Don't even worry about it. Just be blessed. But for those who are supporting it, you're making this possible. I'm very grateful. Uh, and happy to continue doing this ministry, producing free content online uh, to draw people to Christ, to let them be more biblically minded and to be guarded against error that's taught sometimes in the name of God. So take care. <laughs>